Welcome to episode seven of MLR Kickoff with your hosts, Dan Power and Pete Steinberg. Well, Pete, we made it. It's the biggest show, the granddaddy of them all, the big one, the big dance, the grand final, the championship. We are finally here. Two teams remain. How are you feeling, my friend? It's been a long season. It has. I mean, we're commentators, and I feel like I have survived the season. I think the players from Seattle and Glendale that are coming into the game must be feeling the same way, but it is exciting. Um, I am really excited uh, to be with you and Brian Hightower and Stacey Pates down in San Diego for the final. 6 p.m. Pacific, I think, Dan. 9 p.m. Eastern on CBS Sports. Do I have that correct? I would hope you would because you're going to be there, Pete, and you're <laughs> going to be helping me call this one. So Now, normally, you, uh, you do the travel tip of the week in this segment. I'm going to jump in. I just spent uh, the best part of two days in a car driving from Colorado up to South Dakota for 4th of July. Uh, my wife's family's all from South Dakota. So here's your travel tip. You can never have enough movies on your iPad if you've got two kids in the car because if you have to listen to The Nut Job 2 on replay over and over again in the back, <laughs> there's a good chance you may turn into a nut job yourself. Well, okay, so here's a, here's a travel tip I have with traveling with kids, and I have um, a 20-month-old daughter, and so we bought this headband that allows us – now, she doesn't get much screen time on the iPad, but when we travel, we actually put this little headband, and in the headband, it has speakers, and so she's able to listen to the iPad and not bug anyone. So you need to have some sort of um, speaker system so you don't have to listen. What was it, the nut job too? Is that what you said it was? Well, I can't believe they made a second one. That's all I can say. <laughs> well, you know, happy July 4th. Um, my big news was that we found out uh, yesterday that in our house that we bought in Colorado, just outside Boulder, we can see, I think, four different towns' uh, fireworks displays. So we just sat on the deck and uh, watched um, some great fireworks and enjoyed the enjoyed the evening. So... We feel like that was uh, that was a, a great benefit of our house. So, but what a great weekend it was, Dan! Um, two good games, great setup in Glendale, great atmosphere there. Um, what was your impression of uh, of the weekend of the the playoffs in the championship series, the inaugural Major League Rugby Championship Series? There's just something special about finals rugby, isn't there, Pete? There's like a different smell to it. There's a different feel. The electricity in the air when you walked into Infinity Park, it just felt different. It felt very, very special. And all four sides delivered on Saturday with two extraordinary games. You could tell the intensity lifted significantly from the regular season. And uh, we're going to dig in now, Pete, and we're going to have a look at those two games. Firstly... Let's have a look at the early game. That was Seattle and San Diego. You and I both thought San Diego, they were the hot team. Seattle coming off a bye, an unfavorable bye for teams throughout the year. They were up against it, but at the end of the day, they just got the job done on the back of that defense yet again. Yeah, I mean, you know, Seattle's one of those teams. I I remember talking to Phil Mack very early on in the season, and he said, you know, we're going to be dominant in the scrum, and we're going to have a good defense. And as the leader and coach of that team, he's delivered. That's exactly what they provided. And again, just like San Diego had early on in the season, up in Seattle, where they really struggled to manage the scrum, 
they struggled again in this game and it prevented them from having a platform from which they could launch their attack. It was, uh, it was interesting. It was a brave choice by Rob Hoadley to choose their two young props, Tui Halamaka um, and Sylvia, who struggled. Um, they were better than they were up in Seattle, Dan. Both of us were up there. They were better, but they still struggled in that scrub. You got to remember they had the injuries too. Tony Papura not in that side. Dolph Bota as well, both experienced scrummages. They were missing. And then those two early injuries, Pete, really hurt San Diego. Salabar in the midfield. Audsley came on and did not have a very, very great start as he gave up that interception to Tiberio as well, plus a couple of other errors from him early on there. And then Tony Lamborn was the big one for me, losing him from the pack. Uh, they just lost a leader and they lost a lot of aggression at the breakdown as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, um, I don't think San Diego has really found a solution at 12 since um, JP Duplessis was injured early on in the season. I mean, every team has to deal with injuries, right? Um, and Salabar is a 13 that they were playing at 12. And then when he came out and they brought in Audsley, he struggled both offensively and defensively. But they, you know, their back row, actually, I, I agree with you. I thought, you know, Tony Lamborn was a, just a real beast out there. And they actually created, I think it was seven turnovers at the tackle contest, San Diego did. And they were really, really dominating in that place. And I think that's because I actually think Seattle got their back row combinations wrong. And I think, you know, they had um, Aladdin Shermer, who has been the vice captain and played all the games. And he's really a flanker. But when um, Ricard Hatting got injured early on, he moved to eight and he stepped in really well. And he does a lot of the dirty work. Um, but then with Vili um, Julitaru coming back, they had a choice to make. And what they did was they brought out Shermer. They brought in Vili um, into the... Uh, um, back row at number seven. And so they had Eric Duchel and Ricard Hatting, who were both similar players. Duchel's had a great season, but he's a very, very strong bull runner and a very strong defender, but he's not as focused at the dirty work around the ruck, nor is Hatting. And I think they got their balance wrong. And I think that's something that they need to think about coming up. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm not sure that, you know, it's, it's a tough choice to make for Phil Mack, he's got four top back row forwards and he's only got three spots in that next game. But we, we won't get ahead of ourselves. Um, so I think, the, I think the back row was a challenge for Seattle. Um, and even with Alec Barton coming in uh, for Lambourne and then being yellow carded, I thought the two yellow cards were, were the real turning point. It was 17-17. There were 15 minutes to go. Seattle, I'm sorry, San Diego had the ball about their halfway line and you get the intercept. And if you go back and look at that intercept, it's so well defended by Seattle. There's no space. It's man on man. Phil Mack did a great job. He stepped into the line. There was no overlap. What they should have done is San Diego, down to 13 players, should have played territory. But instead, they moved it wide and they paid the price. Yeah, I agree with you there, Pete. The two yellow cards, a little bit of controversy around those. The Barton one, not so much. I mean, pretty clearly... No rap went pretty low, but the Mahoney one, you know, the uh, the fans out there, some were pretty pretty torn on that one. From where we were, though, I mean, a big man like uh, Siosi Mahoney, just you just can't get your hands tangled up, and then that pulling down motion. I mean, 
if it's if it's going to be a 50-50 call, you just get your hands out of there, which you could have done, and I don't think the referee does much about it. Um, well, but I that... Adam Leo explained it really well. I mean, we could hear him, and he was saying, where did he land? Right? That was Derek Summers. Derek oh, Summers had that game. Oh, yeah. Sorry, Derek, Derek Summers said, well, where did he land? And he was looking to see, did he land on his back? Did he land? I mean, he was looking, and, and that was what the call was. So, the challenge in the air was fine. It was grabbing the arm and pulling him down that Derek Summers thought was a problem. Yeah, I was fine with the card as well. I think it, it definitely. I mean, whenever there's a player in the air, you can't be too cautious. You just got to let that one go. But uh, Seattle, they ran away late. And you look at the statistics too that you just mentioned, very, very close game. San Diego, probably more favorable in the statistics, controlling possession and territory, but weren't able to get the win with those two cards and a couple of injuries. But then the late game came. It was the home side, Raptors, taking on uh, somewhat of a surprise packet, Utah Warriors. They were very much uh, like Katy Perry there, a little hot and cold. But uh, unfortunately for the Warriors, they came out of the goal gates a little too cold and went down, I believe it was 22 points to zero very early. The Raptors, that's probably the best 30 minutes they've played all season, Pete. Well, I mean, I think, it, you know, we, we talk about the seawall in Seattle's defense. And I think the last two weekends, Glendale have shown that they can, they can they too can defend because these were the two highest scoring teams in the league, both averaging over 30 points. And if you remember, Dan, I think it was with 10 minutes to go, it was 34-7. There were two late tries in the last 10 minutes by Utah to make the score respectable. But to take an explosive Utah team and to hold them to seven points in seven in um, in 70 minutes is a pretty impressive defensive effort by Glendale. And I think they did it. They took away the forward runners. There were double tackles happening in the middle. Dave Williams, Coach Dave Williams, selected a big pack. He put Dylan Fawcett on the on the flank because he knew this was going to be a big physical game. It paid off brilliantly. Yeah, it did. And you talk about that defense. It was outstanding. 40 more tackles by the Raptors then the Warriors, and to hold those weapons at bay, impressive. 119 tackles to the Raptors, just 79 to Utah. And to keep, like you said, the integrity of that line for 70 minutes, you're always going to give up points to Utah. There's, we've seen that throughout the year. No one can can stop that attacking flair from Utah. For them, it was just turnovers again that come back to haunt them. I'm sure Alf Daniels, uh, Kimball Carr, and the whole crew out there at the Utah Warriors will – digest the season and look at that and try to formulate a plan for next year on controlling those turnovers. But it, it's what makes the Warriors so special is the way they play the ball. And those turnovers are going to come. It's just about minimizing them. Where you do them and how often you do them would be the right. big ones there, Pete. Absolutely. And if you remember, three of the big turnovers came from lineouts. They had real problems in their lineouts. Um, Tui Palutu is not a hooker. Um, I spoke to Alf Daniels and he said he stepped in. He's really a prop. He's a, I think he played Tonga A as a prop. And so they really struggled in the first half. They had three lineouts down in the corner, five meters from Glendale's line, and they came away with zero points every time. And I think early on in the second half, Glendale got their lineout down there and put it in for, you know, to get that try. And so the, I think you know Utah – Really played their heart, hearts out. I, I love watching Don Paddy play. That guy has amazing feet. He creates space. Um, I thought Kurt Morath played well. There was nothing more that Paul CK could do. I thought that their work rate and their ability to finish, you know, we've talked a lot, you know, are they fit enough? But they were the, they were the dominant team in the last 10 minutes. So there's a lot to build on there for 
um, for Utah, but they're just not yet a fully rounded team. They just don't have all the pieces that Glendale have. There's, you know, if you said what's Glendale's weakness, I'm not sure what I would say there. No, I'm not too sure there's too many chinks in that armor. Uh, for me, Sam Fig. I mean, every commentator's allowed, yeah. Every commentator's allowed a man crush one per season, maybe one per team. I think it's the moustache. He's just, Pete, it's just what he does on the field. He's just, he's very similar to what Pete Dahl was for the Raptors for many years as well. He's just that unsung hero. He just does a lot of dirty work. I mean, Going down, I actually spent most of the game down on the sideline with Stacey Pates. I just wanted to get a bit more of a feel for the game, you know, down there in the trenches and kind of get a feel for both these sides. I was so excited, actually, for the game. Got a little nervous before. I haven't been nervous for a game in a long time, but to actually feel the emotion and feel everything down on the sideline and, and walking in between the benches. And I just sat there and watched Sam Feek for about a 10, 15-minute stretch in the first half. And he's always first, second player to every breakdown. Offensive, defensive, he carries well. He tackles well. He just doesn't make mistakes. He's involved in tries, scoring them, setting them up. Uh, it's just it's hard not to to fall in love with a guy oh, like he, that, Pete. He had a, he had a great game, and, and our co-commentator, Brian Hightower, said it perfectly, which was when he scored that first try, having made the first offload, got back on his feet to then be able to support Cruze. And... and Mika Kruse, I mean, let's talk about a kid that we're excited about. I mean, this guy, I think we were all saying, is he going to be able to handle the pressure okay? I mean, he was like the most dominant player in the first 10, 15 minutes of that game. He tore apart that that Utah line. But Sam Fig being able to make that pass, offload, get to ground, get up and support. I mean, he had a, he had a great game. The, the, the two weaknesses that Glendale have had this season that have kept their games, games close have been penalties. They only conceded 10 penalties to Utah's eight and handling errors. And their handling errors were seven, which is phenomenal. So if they can manage those two um, attributes, those, the, those two errors, if they can manage that well, I don't think they have a weakness. But, you know, I, I'm, I don't think Utah was able to put the pressure on them that maybe the Seawall will this weekend. But I thought it was a very, very impressive performance by Glendale. And I think we even saw Dave Williams have a bit of a smile. Maybe. No. A little bit. No, maybe I was maybe he was grimacing. It was just a grimace probably. Maybe a, maybe like a facial seizure or something from one corner of his mouth kind of curled up. He's the Clint Eastwood of uh, Major League Rugby's Dave Williams. <laughs> just can't crack a smile. Uh, I couldn't hear his halftime interview. Was he was he displeased? Was he happy? Um uh, I'm trying to remember, actually. I think that, um, you know, his, there's always things to work on. I think that they wanted to work on their line speed, which is something that can be very good, but to, that, that, that is a bit inconsistent. I mean, there's always stuff for that guy. Like, there's no way that they had their video session and he was telling them how great they were. You and I both know him too well for that. No, we do well. They punched their ticket through to San Diego this Saturday night. Pete, let's preview the big game now. A little bit of oversight coming well, into it. It's one versus two. Well, Dan, before we do that, there's two things that I think maybe we should do. Number one is let's go to the scorecard of our predictions. No, no, let's just keep I mean, moving on. Just, no, just, just randomly, just, just, I think we should probably look. So, um, Aaron Castro, who's who's behind the virtual glass, sent it to this. So let me just—I'm just reading it for the first time. No idea. So Dan is seven and nine, and Pete is ten and seven. Okay. 
Okay, so I just wanted to make sure. So hold it. That means that I had better predictions than you, right, Dan? Well, I just want to send a message to the ownership and general managers of mate. You've got to do a better job signing players. If I'm picking you and you're not winning, there's something wrong. And let's 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 talk a little bit about Utah and San Diego before we get on to the final game, Dan. Let's talk a little bit about what we think these teams need to do um, preparing for next year. So what's your thoughts on San Diego coming into year two? Well, after sitting down with our uh, live session on Friday night with Rob Hoadley, I'm pretty confident that they've got a long-term plan out in San Diego. Matt Hawkins, very, very sharp, astute rugby mind, also a very good businessman as well. I wouldn't be too concerned if I'm a San- too concerned, sorry, if I'm a San Diego Legion fan. I think they will continue to get young players. They're looking very heavily at colleges. They've got to shore up their front row, though. That would be my only question mark over the Legion is you've got to have front row depth, especially um, two or three deep. So Tui Halamaka, he'll be better for the hit out. He's young enough to come back, bring him back. Pat, Pat Blair, what a find he was at hooker. But I think they need a hooker on the bench to play after Pat uh, Pat Blair. So he's not having that pressure of 80 minutes every game, especially because he does get around the field so much. And they've got to shore up their scrum. So whatever they need to do to take care of that, I think they'll be in great shape and definitely uh, back in the top four next year with a shot at the championship. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was really impressive talking to Matt and Rob um, on our Facebook Live. And for any listeners that haven't seen it, you can still go back and find it on the Major League Rugby Facebook page. I love the way they talked about culture. I love the way they talked about you know, investing for the long term. I spoke to Rob Hoadley before that Facebook Live, and, and he knew that this was going to be a test for their young props. You know, I wonder if um, they don't use some of their contacts around the world to get a Tui Halamaka and get him to have some more games at props somewhere else in the world this fall. He needs more games there. He improved tremendously, but he's not the finished product yet. So I agree. I think it's, it's going to be about their type five. I mean, they picked up a couple of on-back players in Jay Harmon and Chris Tiori, but I don't know how long those guys are going to go. I think in pretty much everywhere else, I think they've got depth, but you're right, prop is the place to go. Um, what do you think about Utah and what they need to do, Dan? Utah need Kurt Moore at 2.0. They need to find Kurt. Kurt was great for them this year. I just don't know how much longer... Kurt can keep going. His durability is not in question. He's played at a high level for a long time. Getting recalled to the Tongan squad is testament to that. They need to calm down to have that influence off Kurt Morath throughout the year. And as much as I enjoy watching the Nichols boys play this year, they need to go find a class nine. They really need a better nine who can organize that breakdown, get the ball out a little quicker. They've got so much talent, so much potential in that back line. They've got so much size and power in the forward pack. They've got finishes at six, seven, and eight. I just really think that key is going to be nine, ten for them. If Kurt does come back, they've got to go out and get a world-class nine to play inside him. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, they're quite an old team. They've got a number of players in their 30s, but they're also one of the teams that didn't have a huge amount of time in preparation. So a huge number of their squad was really local players, and the fact that they had so much talent locally is phenomenal and very much about sort of the history of BYU and the University of Utah and rugby that's up in Utah. But they need to they need to broaden their net a little bit. I you know, what do you think the chances are that Paul CK is still playing major league rugby next year? 
I can't imagine there are, I mean, there can't be many Pro 14 or English Premiership um, teams that wouldn't be better with Paul Lasique in their squad. Um, I don't know if he wants to do that, but that would obviously be a huge loss. But it's kind of like where Major League Rugby is now. It's a great shot window for some of these guys to go and play overseas. Well, I can tell you, Pete, without naming sides, there are quite a few that are interested in Paul Lasique. So I think you will see uh, Mr. Lasique signing a professional contract here in the next couple of months. Yeah, and it's interesting because, you know, a number of these Major League Rugby players have um, have signed with other teams. And of course, their contract is with Major League Rugby. They have centralized contracts. And so it'll be interesting to see how Major League Rugby works with the players to give them the opportunities to play overseas, but also get some value back, right? I mean, it's sort of one of those things that as, as you start, whether that's, you know, financially or whether that's getting some players back that can play. I think that as the um, league expands, player availability and player depth is going to become a challenge and we're going to have to you know do a better job of developing players in the US but probably also bring in a few more players um, from overseas and of course the overseas quote um, quota is going up by two next year so um, the teams will be allowed a couple more I agree 100 percent Pete and you know we've unearthed some stars this year Devin Short in San Diego 19 year old kid from Las Vegas He's going to be outstanding in the next few years. Vili Dolito, uh, Mika Kruse, we've mentioned him as well. We saw the evolution of some other players, the rebirth of Taylor Howden down in NOLA. JP Eloff still showing what a class player he is. Matt Houston as well, snipping around the fringes of maybe a selection this uh, this fall for the uh, Pacific Challenge or Pacific Championship. Uh, they change its name every year. It's tough to keep up with. <laughs> Well, I mean, but I think there, there is going to be an thing. Like he's got this great. He now has a pool of players that he can select from, and I agree with you. There's a number of players that that, that really stepped up, and I thought the, you know, the first and second team fifteen showed that there are players on that list that people probably hadn't heard of before the season started. Yeah, it's, we just got to get used to the ebb and flow early on, and I think it'll be a it'll be a very symbiotic, symbiotic relationship with players from overseas in two categories, looking at the back end of their career, wanting a, a challenge, and then perhaps looking to springboard, getting the exposure of playing professional rugby in a different market. There's a lot of eyeballs on Major League Rugby right now. The intrigue in the United States is very, very high. An opportunity for these players to get seen that they may not have got by playing in low, lower divisions over in Europe will be there. That's going to be a big carrot for a lot of players to come over. Locally, I think we're going to start seeing in the next probably five years some of these crossover athletes who are picking up rugby at high school who are starting to get a little more intrigued by this Major League Rugby looking at it. Paul Lasique's, it would be a great example if you take out his high school rugby in New Zealand. If he had just come to BYU and then gone to football and come back, that's the type of player that we're looking at. I think yeah. you'll see more and more of those players coming in and seeing Major League Rugby as a viable option as well. and. But they're going to need it as the, as the league expands, Pete. They're going to need more and more players, uh, not not only from overseas, but like you said, domestically. We need to start unearthing these players and getting them involved a little earlier. Well, we'll talk next week, Dan, about what happens next for Major League Rugby. There are expansion plans going on. I actually know that Ben Foden from Rooney, Rugby United New York, was out at a local sevens tournament doing some marketing. So those guys are up and running. There was some social media posts about um, 
LA Coast as being a, um, a team uh, coming out of LA. And of course, there's the uh, team in DC. But we'll, we'll cover that next week. And maybe we'll talk a little bit about where we think some of these players will come from and, and how these teams will react. But I think now let's, let's move on to the preview of next week. Now you've embarrassed me about my tipping. We can move on. Thanks, Peter. That's I right. It. You're welcome. So two days' time uh, from the recording, we have the championship game. It's one versus two. No surprise. Everyone thought Glendale, so much class, so many quality players, so much time together. They were always going to get there. The surprise of the season has been the Seawolves. In my opinion, they have been the surprise of the season, how well they've played and defended, considering they were very, very quiet in the off-season, but obviously not. They must have been up there working very hard in the Pacific Northwest. I think this is going to be game of the year, obviously, championship game. It's going to be something that fans who have been watching Major League Rugby have not seen before, an intensity that hasn't been seen before, and just a commitment to getting a championship. No greater feat in rugby than winning a championship with your teammates. Uh, it's something that you remember for the rest of your life. Uh, unrivaled feeling. So I'm excited for one to get out there. I've got goosebumps now just talking about it, uh, to get out there and watch these two sides go at it. And to be honest, it could go both ways. We're going to get into that a little bit more in depth now, just to how close this game is and, and what could happen. Yeah, I mean, I think that, first of all, it's the inaugural championship, right? And uh, I think it's the uh, – um, they're playing – I think Major League Rugby came out and said they're playing for the America's Championship Shield. So they're actually playing for a shield and not a cup, which is a little bit unusual, but I'm sure it's very, very nice. And I'm, I think any team would be happy to get it. But there's a, you know, playing in the first one and then winning the first one will build its mythology, right? So 20 years from now, they'll talk about this first game. You know, there'll be sort of MLR um, films will be doing sort of what looks like in low definition, fuzzy uh, highlights of the game. Hopefully it won't snow. Um, but, you know, I think there's there's something very special about winning the first one. And I think this is going to be a very, very interesting game. Seattle have played um, uh, Glendale twice, once at home in pouring rain. And we were there for that game. And then once at Glendale and both times came up short. So it's going to be, they're going to, you know, it's they're going to have to change something. But I, an old coach of mine would always say it's it's, tough enough that he would always say it's hard to beat a team twice the same team twice in a season but Glendale trying to do it three times even tougher it is and that's why we're going to focus on Seattle first Pete how do they win Saturday night how do Phil Mack Shalom Suniula Rikard Hutting and their teammates change the tune and win Saturday night yeah, um, great, great question. So I think they have to have an edge in the scrum. It was the challenge that they've had both times they've played Glendale. They haven't actually been able to use their scrum as a platform. Um, so I think that's that's number one. And the second thing is, and it happened last week, their line-out is not strong. And Glendale have an excellent, excellent line-out. So, you know, I always start with the set piece. But then for Seattle, it's about the defense. So Glendale play at such pace on attack because they have a really good structure that all the players know. They know where to go. They get there quickly. What they have to do is they have to slow that breakdown. And that's why um, I, would put, uh, um, I would put Shermer on the field along with um, Chilotau. I would put both of them on the field at the same time. And I, I recognize you would have to give up something. And I think Eric Duchel would move to the bench. 
I think if you play Duchesne and Hatting together, I think that you can't slow that ball down, which means the seawall is going to be more easily breached. So to me, I think there's, it's, it's got to be about um, that set piece. They've got to have an edge in the scrum. They've got to have some parity in the line out. And then they've got to be able to contest at the breakdown because if they can put pressure on Glendale, they can force Glendale into handling errors. You just made my job so much easier right now, Pete, as you transition handling errors. If I'm Seattle, I go back, I watch Glendale, San Diego, their only loss of the season. A lot of handling errors. They could not hold on to the ball and it was pressure. It was pressure from the Legion getting up in their face. And like you said, it comes down to slowing down the breakdown for the Raptors because they don't play good on slow ball with people in their faces. They don't like that pressure. They don't, no one really does, let's be honest. No one enjoys defenses getting up in your face, and they have to do it early. First 10 minutes, they've got to set the tone. Make Glendale have a bad day. Don't let them get a chance to get settled in because, let's be honest, Pete, the Raptors, they are the best team in Major League Rugby. They have to prove it on Saturday night but they are the best team on paper in Major League Rugby. For the Seawolves to win, though, they have to throw that out the window, not care about reputations, and I have a feeling they're probably talking about that right now, and they're not going to give too much of a worry to the names in the Raptors' line-out. And uh, I just think you you hit the nail on the head. If they make some changes to the back row, because Glendale have made some changes. Dylan Fawcett has slipped back to the bench. Pete Dahl will start, so that's a different mentality already. They're looking at stealing the ball here. Pete Dahl yeah, is a poacher. Yeah. He's not as physical as Fawcett, but he's very, very crafty at the breakdown. So, you know, let's talk about, like, why Seattle could lose. Seattle could lose if they lose at the breakdown, both in terms of turning it over and also if they can't have some territorial gain. So I think Peter Smith is a fine fly half, but that's their kicker. Phil Max, not a great cricket, a very dynamic runner like an open field, extremely dynamic, but he's not a very strong kicker. And you look, you've got the Archibald, you have um, uh, McGee, and you've got Sean Davis. So let's remember that the Raptors beat Seattle. Now, this was in Glendale when Seattle had Phil Mack and the Raptors didn't have any of their Eagles. And it was and, and, and Seattle actually dominated the first part of their game. They took their opportunities. I think they were 11 nothing up with about 10 minutes to go. And then Glendale scored two quick tries. One was Chad London picking the ball up from um, a ball that was out of a ruck and scoring in. And then the second was from a line out. And then they couldn't score again. And I think that's another reason why Seattle could lose is that they don't generate points through phase play. They generally are very opportunistic turnovers quick balls, quick tap penalties, but they've struggled to generate a lot of offense. I, I, I expect you to see, expect to see a lot of Matt Turner coming to the blind side, a lot of Phil Mack running with the ball, trying to create space for his forwards, but that's been a struggle for them. Yeah, I agree. And how they lose, I just think Glendale Raptors turn up. Non-complacent. I mean, you mentioned Sean Davies there. How about the form he is in at the moment? He oh, started this year as the backup scrum half in the Eagles. Now, there is not a shadow of a doubt it is Sean Davies as the number one scrum half in the United States. It is daylight second, and then it's a log jam after that for third. You could take your pick. But Sean Davies is the hottest player in the United States right now. His form, outstanding. His leadership, outstanding. His passing, 
He's crisp. His defense, he's on point. A small guy, he gets up, makes his tackles. And that's that was the loss, really. You know, young Chrisman, he's coming along. He's evolving. He's going to be a, a good scrum half in years to come. But Sean Davies right now didn't play that game against the Legion. He'll be there Saturday night. I think Seattle lose because Sean Davies gets hot early on. His service is there. He gets his forwards going forward. And that juggernaut, once it gets momentum, I believe the, the scientific term is inertia. Once something gets moving, you just can't stop it. Yeah, I mean, Sean Davies brought his eagle form into that game last weekend, picked up that ball from that line out, put his foot down. Like, I, I agree. I, I'm, I'm really impressed with Davies. He's someone else that I think might end up getting poached, but let's enjoy him while he's here. So for you, you know, a local, local boy in Colorado, what do Glendale need to do? I know you said they just need to turn up and it's about complacency, but what do they need to do to break down that seawall and what do they need to do to kind of put Seattle away? Like you said, they've beat Seattle twice, so they've kind of got a good feel for that seawall now, which is one of the, whoever came up with that is an absolute genius. They should have patented it, the seawall. I love it. It's brilliant. Anyway, for them, they've had a good look twice on film how to do it. Dave Williams just keeps talking about Raptors, Raptors rugby. You know, they have their systems. He always talks about you've just got to stick to your systems. He's preached it all year. I think it's starting to really sink home for the players. You've got a confident group of Eagles that have come back from an amazing summer, the June series. They're on a high. Complacency would be my only issue, and I don't think Dave Williams lets any complacency. I think you've got leadership with Davies. Zach Fanolio, who quietly could be announcing this is his last game off serious rugby. Uh, I think that's a big moment too, and – if he is going to do it, I think if he announces that, that could be something that really could galvanize that Raptors side and lift them. Um, you know, I think those three, along with Peter Dahl as well, also could be his last one. Atta Malifa. There's a, there's a group of guys that will probably phase out after this year. So if they're going to win a title, they're going to do it right now this year. And I think that's going to be a very big moment for that side. And I know it sounds a little arrogant saying they just have to turn up because there's going to be a lot more than that. Seattle are far too good a side to just turn up. But if they turn up in form, then I don't know if Seattle have the the points in them to beat Glendale. Well, one of the things that I thought Seattle um, struggled with the last time they played in the second half, and I, I expect to see more of this from Glendale, is they appeared to find a weakness in the seawall, which is a back inside pass. It looks like the inside defenders of the seawall aren't as strong launching. And so the real key to the second half on attack for Glendale was that pass back inside. I think that they need to be strong in the scrum, right? So Glendale need to be strong in the scrum. Their line out needs to function. So I agree with you. I mean, I think if these two teams both play their best, I think Glendale win. But I think that there are some reasons um, for Glendale to have con- some concerns. So we've talked about the penalty count. So um, I think that's going to be something because the penalty count is what would allow Seattle to play territory. We've talked about the handling errors. And so I think that's something else that, um, you know, we've said if, if Seattle, just like San Diego did two weeks ago, if you can get up in their face and you can really pressure them, they'll have handling errors. And they had that issue way back when their Eagles were around. I mean, I think you and I did a NOLA game with Glendale where they won by 30 points but still had 20 handling errors. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of um, things that, that 
point to a Glendale win, but I don't think it's a lost cause by Seattle. But I think Seattle do have to play their best and they're going to have to disrupt Glendale's game, the structure that they play in a way that allows them to feed off that and be opportunistic. So those penalties, there's no one better in the league than Phil Mack taking a, a quick tap and generating something off it, right? So, you know, if you're going to give away the penalty, Glendale have to get back. Um, you know, for everything that Sam Fig is, he does give away some penalties at the breakdown. He's going to have to be careful. He got the yellow card against uh san diego which was one of the reasons why they struggled a little bit so you know it's not a lost cause but i do think if both teams play their best glendale win and i you know i've never seen dave williams satisfied so i'm pretty certain this week um he hasn't been satisfied but i'm also pretty certain they haven't done anything differently every time i speak to davey he's always consistency 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 and i think that's what they're banking on going into this game yeah, I agree, Pete. And how Glendale lose? Well, for first, if they listen to me too much, if they kind of get... <laughs> hold it, hold it. If you pick them, they lose. Isn't that right? If you pick against them, I... they win. Isn't there something like that? There's some sort of inverse relationship with your picks. <laughs> well, they've only lost one game, so I get, they can't... The assistant coach, Kieran Browner, he likes throwing that I have picked against them twice, and they've won both games. And it was both times against Seattle, so third time's a charm for me. Maybe I should go for Seattle. But uh, honestly, the only way I can see them losing is if they are reading their own press and patting themselves on the back and thinking they're the greatest thing since sliced bread. And like you said, Seattle have to turn up on point, firing early on, unsettle the Raptors, and then I think you know they. I could see them losing this game. But... There's a lot of uh, a lot of things that Seattle need to tie up on their end more so than Glendale. Yeah, I think that's right, and I think and I think you're right. You know, for some of these Glendale players, this may end up being the end of their Glendale career. As you know, especially the guys like Fenolio and Peter Dahl and Archibald that have you know good jobs. And what does Fenolio do? I think he works for some small company. Who is that? Striker that's Orthopedics? The world, the world leader in orthopedics there. That's Striker Orthopedics, the number one name in orthopedics. Um, but, you know, for some of these guys, I think I think the as, as Major League Rugby ramps up, the, uh, you know, just like it was in, you know, in the mid-90s when pro rugby started off, um, slowly you're going to find the, the, the players that have the full-time jobs, you know, they're not going to be paid enough to play rugby to give up their good job. Um, and then they also won't have the time to make the commitment that's needed. So, you know, um, I think Dave Williams has done a remarkable job of sort of combining his full-time guys and his part-time guys. But we all know that a couple of years from now, there won't be any part-time guys. So it, it, that wouldn't surprise me to see some of these guys step away. Um, and the same in Seattle. Seattle don't have a young team. They've relied a lot on the Seattle Saracens. And so, you know, a number of those players... Uh, uh, you know, working and playing. And I think we'll probably see some of those guys also kind of go back to the Saracens and there'll be more full, full-time pros in both of these teams next year. All right, Pete, for the last time in 2018, who wins, how much, and who's your man of the match? Oh, oh, there's a, there's a little, a, a little added piece in there. So yeah, good question. Um, I mean, I think, you know, I think Seattle can win, but I don't think that's where the smart money is. I think I think Glendale wins. I think they win by seven. Um, I think Seattle score a couple of tries off turnovers or penalties. I think their seawall, 
holds up for the most part, but gets breached a few times. And, you know, I'm going to, who do I think is going to be the player of the match? So I'm going to go for a little bit of um, a, uh, a, a different person than we normally would like. So Fenolio, I think, has had an amazing season. It could be him. Davies and McGee, both of them, it could be them. But, you know, someone who I think will step up, and it's probably his last game for the Raptors before he heads over to the UK, is Ben Landry. And I don't think Ben Landry has yet played his best game for the Raptors. So I'm going to say Ben Landry is going to come out there and make a statement, and we'll call him my player of the game. A little bit of a left-field choice. Okay. I'll go Glendale and just add one point onto yours. By eight. And I don't think you'll be surprised who uh, my player of the match is going to be. It's the muscled, mustached man himself, Samuel Fig. Figgy Smalls, he'll be getting Figgy with it on Saturday night as he runs rampant. I think he'll get two tries. Two tries for Fig, a double, and Glendale, they'll get it done. It'll be pretty tight, I think, very physical in the opening 20 minutes, but they'll just start getting that quick ball and that Raptors rugby will start to flow. and That'll be your inaugural champions, Pete. That's right. And it's going to be excited. Um, I'm excited to be down there with you. And of course, for all of our listeners, please subscribe and please leave us a rating. We're going to be continuing our podcast throughout the off season. We'll definitely have a follow up next week. Um, We'll probably take a little break, but then we'll be back. So the best way to follow your major league rugby news is to subscribe um, whether it's iTunes or Google play or, or Stitcher or whatever that you're, use of podcast is and uh i'm excited to be there down one one last uh, um rodeo for you and me this season and then we also get to take a break it is i will see you saturday kickoff is 6 p.m uh pacific 9 eastern if you can't make it down to torero stadium cbs sports has the game live and exclusive it promises to be an absolute cracker of a game. So make sure if you can't get Torero, watch it on TV. Keep those numbers going up for us. It's been a great year for Major League Rugby on the field, off the field as well. It's only going to get better. So make sure you tune in. And uh, we will catch up next week for a full review of the championship game, plus a little talk of expansion, what's coming down the pipe for 2019. So again, thanks, Pete. Thanks to our producer, Aaron Castro, for all his hard work throughout the year he'll be in san diego with us as well and we'll catch you all next week after we uh, crown a champion this saturday night